Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining. This is Father Bonaventure Chapman, and I am joined by Father Gregory Pine. Although, for those of you who have been paying attention and watching on YouTube, um, you'll notice that the background is different from Father Gregory. He's done some construction in uh, Switzerland without telling the prior, and here we are. Uh, no, that's not entirely true, although I like what you've done back there. So, Father Gregory, where are you right now? Um, where in the world is Father Gregory Pine? It's like a new game from uh, Carmen yeah. San Diego. I've just dated myself. <laughs> I played that. I played that computer game. That's how I learned that Riyadh is the capital of Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't know hmm. that I retained anything else. Um, okay. I am in Austria, so I'm in Gaming, Austria, hmm, at the campus of the Kartauser Gaming, which is where Franciscan University of Steubenville has its study abroad program. So I am just continuing with my academic work at the same clip, but in a different place and celebrating mass and exposing the blessed sacrament here in confessions for. Um, the community here associated with Franciscan University. So, yeah, I took a 10-hour and 15-minute train ride yesterday, Ooh. which um, which was long. It's funny. I like flying, and I like driving, and the jury's still out on trains. Because on the one hand, you're like, oh, yeah, this is great, because I don't have to drive and endanger other people's lives. But on the other hand, you're also like, I also can't like make rest stops and pick which road I want to go on. I don't know. There's something about it that I feel constrained by. Mm. Um, still still, still trying to sort out whether or not I like trains. Yeah. I think the answer is maybe. Maybe. Um, All right. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. Well, we're going to get to the constrained part of this in a minute here, which I suspect. But I'm just going to say, um, anyone from Steubenville, we might have people who are alum, uh, alumni and alumnae. Uh, from Steubenville and or people, students right now currently going, if you want to call in at this point and uh, ask, ask any questions to uh, Father Gregory since it's in Gaming or your friends, uh, you can't. It's not a call-in show. Um, so <laughs> so uh, we're talking about constraint because Father Gregory feels constrained when he's riding trains. He doesn't get to have this sort of freedom, this sort of thing. And uh, that harkens back to an episode we did a little while ago on speeding, mm. and uh, which yeah. was basically a discussion of um, why speeding is okay to do if you want to do it and not okay to do if you're a moral person. Um, so we thought we'd just kind of ratchet out a bit and go to like a meta level for a moment and talk about obedience, another thing, uh, which obviously obedience as a virtue and uh, uh, as an experience, as an emotion. I don't know if you can emotion, make obedience an emotion or a passion. You know, I feel very obedient today. I don't know. It doesn't seem likely, and there's probably good reasons for that, which I have suspect. But obedience is important for Dominicans, obviously, because, Father Gregory, why? Because it's the only vow that we make Correct. So in a lot of religious congregations, or religious orders, you profess um, obedience, chastity, and poverty. But in the Dominican order, you only profess the one. That's not to say that you aren't committed to chastity and poverty because obedience encompasses them. But it's the one thing that we state. Yeah, I was going to say, um, it means, yeah, we don't have to, we don't actually give up on wealth or women, which is surprising most people. We just choose not to do those things. But no, they're <laughs> encompassed under obedience. And maybe just a question, a quick comment on that. What, why under, how are they encom encompassed under obedience and not like other things that like vows to hold turtles and stuff like that? Like why those, how do those two get <laughs> under there? Well, on the one hand, it's because it's how the church envisions religious life. So 
you kind of profess with the mind of the church. But on the other hand, um, St. Thomas will say that the vow of obedience encompasses chastity and poverty because, because why? Well, because when you profess these three evangelical counsels, in a certain sense, you give of your whole person. So by poverty, you give of your possessions. By chastity, you give of your body. And by obedience, you give of your will. But when you give one, when, when somebody gives his or her will, you, you effectively give the whole person because the will sets everything else in motion. The will is the seat of choice. The will is, in a certain sense, the seat of identity, I think, is, is how many would describe it. So for that reason, when you give your will, you give your body, you give your possessions, um, unless you do some strange form of mental gymnastics, which I can't imagine how that would work. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, those reasons. No, it's right. If you get, and that's a good point. It's, it's like, if you, Thomas says, if you will the end, then you kind of have to will the necessary, if there are necessary means to it, then you have to will those things as well. They're included. You can't say, well, I'm going to... I'm gonna to fly to Gami now, but I don't. I, mean, I don't intend to take a plane. You know, like, well, you don't have wings. So it's not gonna happen. You kind of you do commit yourself to flying in an airplane at this point, or a rocket ship, or something. Um, yeah, but, unless you're Wonder Woman, and then you can just will to fly, and then that's what you end up. You doing. know, that movie um, <laughs> had a possibility of DC. It made you think, I'll watch a DC co- Marvel movie again, a DC Comics movie again instead of the Marvels. And then after that one, you thought, nah. No more. Yeah. I'll give you that yeah, the one. the flight thing. It's like, you know what I want to do? Fly. Yeah. Okay. Why not? Right. Why not? Go for it. Who knows? These <laughs> rules don't make sense. Um, but what rules do make sense? Obedience. Um, so that's what we're, again, we're talking about here. And, you know, I think just psychologically, there's probably two two kinds of... There are people who love rules, just love mm. them. You know, mm. they're called Germans. Um, and then there are other people who hate rules, you know, and I think, Uh I suspect there's also maybe developmentally too, I expect when you're, I don't know if this is true, it might cut cross, there might be children who absolutely love rules, uh, all the time, and there's other children who just hate rules all the time, or maybe it's a developmental thing, but I think by the time you get by college or something, you're kind of set with either thinking, uh, when you hear a rule thinking, awesome, or if you hear a rule, you think, nah, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Why would that be? Yeah. So, Father Greg, where would you put yourself on the uh, on the the rule versus uh, the, the awesome or nah? <laughs> That's a good question because, on the one hand, too, I think it may also depend on what types of rules you're interacting with. Mm-hmm. Because not all rules, as we experiencing as we experience them, are on the same footing. So you might have like rules of the house. So you might visit a family's house and you notice that all of their shoes are neatly arranged. Um, you know, just like right inside the door. And you're like, ah, this is a house where one removes his shoes. Uh, but maybe, you know, like you just don't like taking your shoes off because you're like, I don't know, I feel, feels weird to be sock footed. Mm-hmm. I feel half dressed, you know? So it's like, Discalced. you have to, yeah, you have to contend with that kind of unstated rule of a household, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, you take your shoes off, you keep your shoes on, it's whatever. I mean, if you just tromp through a muddy field, I think that probably conditions your choice in a little way, but okay. So that would be on the more trivial end. And then you have other rules, right? Which are (laughs) a lot bigger of a deal. I remember when, you know, when we took our canon law course and you learned about grave crimes, uh, or, you know, like grave delicts, Mm, delicts. types of things, the types of things would be like, whoa, you know? Uh, the kind of sins that cry out for vengeance or the kind of things which are just unconscionably bad. So one of which would be like revealing something, a priest revealing something in the um, sacrament that was, that was recounted in the sacrament of confession, right? So like that's a rule 
in a in a very different way than removing your shoes when you come into a house. One would um, think, yeah. <laughs> Some might say, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's the types of thing that like, you know, when, when you are engaged in a conversation with somebody, and even if the conversation might touch at three degrees of remove or peripherally to something that could tend in that direction, you, you feel it in your bones. You're like, ah, you know, you just, you want to avoid that at all costs. Um, but like most rules, I think kind of happen in between. And then it's a matter of, okay, who's promulgating it for what end does it seem reasonable? And then those types of things may make it chafe more or less. So there's some rules for me that chafe, but there are other rules mm-hmm. for me that I, I love and I get pumped about following them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the question is, so in that, in that case, rules, it sounds like rules are kind of like prudence, you know, for ends, it's kind of an ends means. Thing. So like the reason why that one rule about, uh, I mean, the delict of uh, mentioning what you've heard in confession or something is, yeah, I mean, that's like, whoa, I think of that as, as like, there's a precipice there. So, you know, if you go off of that, massive like, bad things happen, excommunication, all this sort of thing. Um Whereas, like, if you just step over a line on the road, nothing really matters that much. Um, so under that aspect, like, rules rules and being what you obey, it sounds like it's kind of related to, like, what the consequences might be on things. So, for instance, you you feel obedience very strongly for that, uh, the rule about confession stuff. But is that because the consequences are so bad, or is that because... Well, something else. Whereas, like, you know, shoes and, and, and socks and this. So is obedience under this aspect more of a prudential matter, or is it, or is there something else to it? Yeah, so there, there might be an element of that. I know when St. Thomas talks about obedience, he says, on the one hand, it's a virtue that fits here. But on the other hand, it's, it's kind of a virtue that we see throughout the moral life. Because why? Well, he says, for instance, if you're obeying God, all right, if it's a matter of obeying God, that pertains to the virtue of religion which is that aspect of justice, which concerns, you know, giving God what is his due. If it's a matter of obeying your country or your parents, that pertains to the virtue of piety, because it's a matter of giving your country or your parents what is their due. If it's a matter of a superior, like a boss at work, a religious superior, something like that, okay, that pertains to the virtue of what's sometimes called obeisance. Um, So in St. Thomas, I think in St. Thomas's imagining of it, um, the first consideration is the object, right? So with whom are you engaged, you know? So, so like obedience is our response to a command, right? Mm-hmm. Our generous response to a command. But what really, I think what matters most is who's giving the command. So like not all obedient mm-hmm. acts are on the same footing. Like, you know, if you obey the guy at the KFC who says, you know, six feet between, you know, all customers. And if you be- obey God who says, um, you know, greater love hath no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. And you like offer your life and testimony to the Lord's goodness as a martyr, right? Those aren't, those aren't the same kind of obedience. They're both acts of obedience, but because Mm -hmm. they concern different objects, one is more exalted and the other is more humble. Um, so I don't think that one does himself a service by just putting them all on the footing. Like I will obey everything always without thinking about the consequences, without thinking about the object, just because like I relish the opportunity of obedience. And that's not to say that you say, you know, I'll obey in the big matters, but I won't obey in the small matters because yeah. I think the Lord is cautioned directly against that kind of mentality. So they're related, obviously, but it's not like univocal, to use a somewhat jargony philosophical word. Um, it's analogical, you know, so it, it's, it's all bound up with, with the object. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's in, the, in the object is sense the commanding, the one commanding, because obedience is this kind of hearing uh, the command of someone. And it does make a difference. Uh, I mean, like, 
one of the most bizarre games, of course, when you have children around your parent is like the when the children get to command you and it's like do this, stand on a toes, and there's something bizarre about that event. It's so it's a hilarious situation when you're when children are are commanding adults because you think this is insane. Like why are those why are those grown people obeying those small those small little miniature people who don't know what they're doing? Um, and the yeah, and so obedience in that sense is is like a, a will decision to obey for in a particular kind of context of a game. Then like societal obedience, again, you know, wide like traffic signals or traffic rules or those kind of things, like what's going on with those? Well, it's something, well, who am I obeying in that sense? Well, the state, I suppose. And then the state is like us together as a convent, a, you know, a conventional community or something. We could have a discussion about this and how this social contract business works if it does. Um, and then, of course, like divine law. Yeah. So the how we obey these things depends on on who's who's giving them. Now, the question is, um, what is the virtue in in obeying and how do we figure out where well, where to draw the line on it? So what kind of I mean, when we've asked you, so the guy in the KFC, for instance, yeah. you know, six feet social distance or something. Right. <laughs> How do you calculate that? Like, what are you, what are you thinking when, uh, so uh, how about this week, we'll do a test case. Like, what are you going through? What's going through in your mind? And then I'll tell you what, what goes through my mind on these sort of things. <laughs> and then we'll see, like, what happens. Yeah. Okay, so here I think it's helpful to think about it in terms of justice, right? And all justice that we encounter on this earth is a participation in God's justice. So God is just, but God doesn't owe us anything. So God doesn't obey us. But in a certain sense, God obeys himself. Right? So like God made us, uh, he, he created human creatures in grace with a supernatural destiny and we sinned. And yet it seems in a certain sense, just that God afford us a re-entry into his divine life. Does know us, certainly does know us, but it, it seems to issue from God's own self-consistency. If that makes sense, like God owes it to himself. So I think that there's an element in justice, which regards the other, you know, like that's what justice is about. It regards the other and what's due to the other, but it also regards oneself. So justice um, has this element of interior consistency, right? Like you want to be a just person. So regardless of it is of, of whom it is um, who's ordering you to do something and whether or not you think them a good or bad person, provided that it's in a setting where it's warranted, right? You're in the KFC. He's wearing the KFC hat. He's purveying the KFC goods, right? It's his domain. And mind you, sometimes people lord it over you and it makes you want to do anything other than obey them. But by, by doing so, it's not so much a matter of like, he wins this round. You know, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity whereby to become more just, right? I owe it to the grace at work within my soul to, um, you know, perform acts of justice, which are, which are proportionate to, uh, to the virtue that I have cultivated to this point that God has kind of made to be cultivated in me. Um, so on the one hand, okay, the, the kind of calculus that I introduce is like, all right, is this a situation where justice obtains? Because sometimes people are just going to want to boss you around, even though if, you know, they may be out of their lane and my inclination is not to follow them because then you start ceding power to mm. them that they begin to lord over you even more stridently. And you're like, yeah. Um, but if it's, you know, if it's, if it's proper, you know, if it's proper to the setting, then I think even if it does chafe, you do, you know, you have this kind of outward order in the relationship, but then you also have this interior, inner order uh, that, that grows as a result. 
I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And I want to, before I get into my uh, my calculation of it, I think we have to take a little break here, um, hear from our, our obe- be obedient to our sponsors, uh, whoever they might mm. be. So um, in a moment, you'll hear someone who's not one of us, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk again. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Welcome back to Godsplaining. This is Father Bonamich. I'm joined by Father Gregory in Austria. And we are talking about obedience and what the the goods of it, the value of it, where it comes from, what's it for, this kind of stuff. And the pers- some personal reflections, too. So, Father Gregory, we did the KFC, like, go to a KFC and they say, or maybe a Chick-fil-A, who knows? That's very popular today. Um, but six foot apart, like, why do you do this? And, yeah, it's um, uh, the internal dispositions for justice and ordering and offering what is right and what is owed as long as someone's not... Um, pushing too hard on something it's his responsibility but also the goodness of that yeah i think that's that seems to me i mean i guess for me uh obedience has this it's always related to the moral law um mm. so that it has this which then relates to freedom of course because one can't be free unless one has laws or you can't you know it's just like you can't play a piano well unless you have some scales measured and understood so I mean, the the moral law kind of, to me at least, calls out to one, uh, and it instantiates itself. It's like life, you know? It ext- instantiates itself in little creatures sometimes, and like sometimes it's instantiating itself as plants, and sometimes as birds, but all the time life is pulsating at you. Mm. And I get a sense of, like, the moral law, you know, this life is, is one of, 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 of moral experience, um, just like physical experience. I'm always being hit by small particles. In the same way, like, I'm always being hit by, there's always a possibility to be hit by the moral law, the, the goodness of things. We're drawn, I mean, I think St. Thomas talks about this, all things are drawn towards, towards God in a way, and the moral law is one particular way that we're drawn towards it. So, like, when I'm in a situation in there and I see a sign, so that's why part of, as I, I, I love, I love laws, um, so I'm, I'm inclined to, to obey them as much as possible because it's a chance to, in a sense, ride the wave of moral goodness <laughs> towards, towards the one uh, who is God. So when I'm in a, when I'm in a line at a, a, you know, a Burger King or a KFC or something and I see, you know, six feet apart, it's all of a sudden like the universe I've heard, it's called out to me that there is goodness here. And, uh, and then I can comport my will to it, you know? But that being said, of course, uh, so it gets, I should say, that the disposition of willing to obey those in justice, um, and not just in justice, but in sense the, the, the rightness, the ordering of things, because even though he's kind of pimple-faced and has a funny hat on at KFC, he is like an instrument of God's will, you know? <laughs> and Romans talks about this, and Paul talks about this, right? He says, it was supposed to obey the emperor. And remember, at the time, yeah. the emperor's not exactly like... A Christian guy. Uh, then you have all this controverted area, slaves and masters, um, kind of stuff. Like there is this. There seems to be this sense that that God is the voice of this sort of thing, uh, in all obedience. That when you obey, you're somehow disposing yourself towards a relationship with with, with God uh, as the author of the moral law. But there are dangers. Watch out, Will Robinson, for this thing, because of course. Um, you know, 
just because someone says to do something doesn't mean that they're actually instantiating the moral law. It's like when you go mm -hmm. to Disney World, to use my analogy of life and its instantiations, mm -hmm. just because it looks like a bird does not mean it is a bird. It might be <laughs> one of those anatomic things, you know, and you will be delighting yourself in some sort of metal, which is mm. fine. If you want to delight under, the, under metal, I like to do it under the aspect of metal. But if I'm like, look mm. at that wonderful deer and someone's like, idiot, or go into the president's <laughs> hall or something, and they look kind of realistic. Um, they're not real. They're not real. Mm. So there can be counterfeit instantiations of life and counterfeit instantiations of the moral law. Yeah. So yeah. So right now I'm I'm living in the the German speaking world, and people talk. People still talk about this. I mean, I only have had a handful of conversations here, but people still talk about obedience vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Weimar Republic and Hitler, mm -hmm. right? So like. What if a legitimately elected superior starts telling you to do things that you're like, I don't know, seems, seems off. And then at a certain point, you're like, I'm pretty sure that's wrong. And then at, a, at the next point, you're like, definitely wrong. Yeah. The next point, you're like, ah, you know, so, so like at what point, you know, uh, especially if you feel that you are a frog being slowly boiled in an increasingly hot pot. And so... Yeah, maybe maybe that's a place to just a launching off point for talking about the limits of obedience or maybe the context of obedience, the setting of obedience. Yeah, I think you're right. And and some of this, I mean, it, the yeah, how much you follow, I suppose, depends, as you say, on the object, who's who's the one who's speaking and, and that you have to obey. Um, and I mean, go back to Abraham, Abraham's account with Moria, right? I mean, God, you know, if if you tell me, go and slay Father Jacob Bertrand. <laughs> I might obey, but it's not going to be because, you know, I mean, it, I would probably say that I did. Nah, I don't think so. Even if you were my superior, you need to give me a formal precept, which is like, you're out if you don't do this. I would, I mean, I would think twice about it um, before, you know, before doing it. But because you're not, you know, it strikes me that that, would, that violates the moral, the, the, you know, the natural law and the moral law. And that's a little above. So when we rank like laws from things, uh, your law of the priory. Uh, to slay Jake, Father Jacob Bertrand is different than is not as high as God's natural law of you know not taking innocent life. Um, although maybe there's circumstances, it's always confusing. But <laughs> but like if God says go slay Father Jacob Bertrand, right? Now we've got an issue. Now then we've got we've got discernment of like what that would possibly be. But I think one help context is is like thinking in hierarchy, stacked hierarchies of laws. You know that there are these kind of laws promulgated at different levels, and that's helpful. At figuring out so that um, if if it's someone on a low level, which who promulgates something that's against something on a really high level, well, then you have probably good reason not to obey it, uh, or at least to to take pause of it. Um, that's so. That's one context I think about in this circumstance. Yeah, another way that I think about approaching it, which um, it it accounts for the criteria that you just described, is to kind of compare a law to the definition of law. So when St. Thomas defines law, he says it's, first, an ordinance of reason. Second, that it's given by one, you know, legitimately appointed. So the one who has care of the community. Uh, three, it's for the common good. And four, it's duly promulgated. So, you know, obviously the calculus to evaluate whether or not a law corresponds to that definition is hard. Mm -hmm. um, but, but if something falls afoul of that, it, it should give pause. All right. So like, is this, is this an ordinance of reason? Like, is this wise? Maybe just to say in shorthand, okay. Is this being, being put forward by a legitimate superior or is somebody just, um, you know, 
just kind of seizing the reins of power so they can force whatever it is that they want through. Is this generally for the common good? Uh, which is to, which is to say, like, whatever setting. Does this build up the family? Does this build up the polity? Does this build up the church? Or does it potentially detract from it? And then is it duly promulgated? Like, is it something that's made known? Or is this kind of like a, a secret gerrymandering of jurisdictions so that way whoever is doing it can get what he or she wants? And I think that... Um, that, you know, that gives you some criterion where for, for, or for some criteria for why one might not obey. So like if, a, if, if someone is commanding you to do something that you know to be sinful, you know, off the table, right? Um, and so that's, that, that would be like the clearest example, something that you know to yeah. be sinful. Um, but I think that once you start thinking along the lines of, okay, I'm going to accept myself from the law, you're on uncertain ground. And I think that's why the conversation regarding civil disobedience is so fraught because it's like, okay, am I just stepping outside or should we step outside together? And if so, on what authority? Because we're kind of breaking from authority. So, I mean, those are things you're probably better suited to describe. Well, it seems, yeah, to me, it's, there seems to be a, on the face of it, you should assume that, well, obe obeying authorities is something that you should assumed to be done as opposed to um, always checking on, for instance. I mean, I think there's a lot of sense of autonomy. We live in a, in a, in a time when, oh, hey, it's however you want it. It's focused on yourself, autonomy um, against the law that's given to someone else, authorities, you know, think for yourself, all this kind of stuff. But I think from a virtuous perspective, uh, if authority, you should assume the authorities have some legitimacy, you know, and that there should be this, <laughs> that there's should be, I say, I suppose, a, a disposition to obey, I would say, um, yeah. that's good for the soul, such that if you're thinking about disobeying, uh, then you should have a large reasons not to, because it seems that obedience is good for the soul. Uh, probably, I, th I suspect, and I, maybe you have reasons on this, and then I want to get done where it could be bad for the soul, um, that it... It harmonizes you or situates you correctly with respect to your status as a cre as a creature. Um, I think it's it's easy today to forget that we're creatures of God because of our power over things, our ability to mm -hmm. solve, well, seemingly solve coronavirus and things with vaccines that are created in nine months and stuff. I mean, the kind of things we can do with medicine, with surgeries, all of this, the, you know, the, the harnessing of nature and, and everything. And then in political discourse, the idea that, well, everyone should have a vote and everyone should be in charge of things. And the only reason that we don't, that I don't get to choose my laws myself is because it's too complicated, all right, um, to set this up. So it's hard for us to realize that we're creatures today, but obedience uh, strikes me as, it's just a reminder because it's, it's, an imposition on your will, you know, obedience is your will subordinated to another's will. And in that act itself, that has a humility to it, and a, a virtue of, of creatureliness, that reminds us who we are, I think. That's one, to my mind, one aspect of obedience that's uh, salubrious. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, just to, to launch from there, I think that it's very easy just to end up living your own life as you imagine it. And uh, while there's a certain satisfaction that come with, comes with that, um, there's also a certain disappointment that comes with getting what you want. Because I think many of us just kind of by bent, by, by, by virtue of original sin, by virtue of our own sinful dispositions, we just we tend to prefer ourselves to other things. And when you, 
you know, happen up, or when you when you adopt a policy which always gives preference to you rather than other things, then um, that logic kind of um, yeah, I guess it, it just gets more and more pronounced in your life. So you become less and less flexible. You become less and less open. You become less and less, like you said, creaturely dependent um, or cognizant of the fact that our lives are not our mm-hmm. own, that they've been given to us from others and that we owe them back as a kind of debt of gratitude. So I think there's a real threat of just, you know, living your own life as it were um, and setting yourself apart from or, or against those relationships that place claims on us, those relationships that um, shape us in a way that can be really beautiful and dynamic and unforeseen and surprising and mm. yada, yada. But there's a real threat of just, just carving out your own life, which I think uh, is a little bit scary. Yeah, and I think that I, I love that uh, aspect of, of the surprise and the gift. There is a gift of obedience, too, it, uh, in in that it's not just like, oh, the gift of realizing that you don't get to do your own will. Like, that's a gift to some people. Some of us enjoy that sort of thing. Um, but also, the when when you obey someone else, sometimes surprises occur, uh, situations that you didn't expect, pathways that you didn't plan to take, but actually can be the really exciting ones. Whereas when you kind of choose your own thing, sometimes you just end up disappointed. It's like... If I let someone else choose what we're going to do, you know, in certain cases, I might actually be really happy with it. Whereas when I'm the one choosing, it's like, well, if I choose poorly, you know, uh, this is going to feel doubly bad. You know, so, <laughs> so like with obedience, when you set yourself in these hierarchies, uh, sometimes surprises will happen. Because I do think, again, that God works through through the wills of others um, in our lives as opposed to direct communication with us all the time. Um, and so sometimes his will for us in is presented in surprising ways, in ways that we wouldn't expect to go to. But um, I expect many people can imagine situations where someone said, you need to do this. And he said, I don't really want to do that. But you went along with it. And you thought, yeah, this is fantastic. This is great. I would have never done this otherwise, but it's really yeah. good. So it yeah. adds, we, allows an element of surprise. Yeah. And we've had, we've had experiences like that like that time when Father Patrick invited us up to that vocation event in New Hampshire, and he's like, it's going to be great. There's going to be awesomeness and splendorful and wonder and joy. And we're like, okay, we're there. And then we just like drove three hours and then like drove another three hours and got rained on and ate bad pizza and carried oh. a very heavy statue. And Awful. it was just like, what just happened? But like as we were driving home, I remember having that. We, we, we ended up at a mall food court eating bourbon chicken. And we just looked around the table, you know, Father Dominic, and we're like, it's really good to be a Dominican. And what have we done that day? Like nothing except for be frustrated. But <laughs> Yeah, and uh, pro tip, pro tip when carrying, uh, if you have to carry statues on the, on the shoulders of four men or what have you, um, make sure that the, cor- that the corners, their people are evenly uh, height-wise, uh, distributed evenly. <laughs> because we, and, uh, we had two corners, basically, with one, one was really short and one was really tall. You can imagine the tall person was. And then, the, so the weight just resides. So you're basically, instead of four people carrying it, two people are carrying it. The other two people are playing this bouncing game. And the other two people's shoulders driving in. So just, it's a tent, you know, you think, oh, the height thing, just an aesthetic matter. No, it's not. Do not have people who are more than three inches different on height carry, carry things together. It's not, it's going to be a disaster. You might as well not have those other two guys there. You know, yeah. Um, quickly, then, what's maybe we'll do uh, the vice. So, you know, we no one likes a guy who's just totally obedient all the time. So yes, 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 man, a yes man kind of thing. But what are the vice? What what are the vices of of being uh, obedient? 
we could say we know the vice of being disobedient, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But what what could be a, a vice of of obedience? You could say. What's yeah, the danger so like, of being obedient too much? I think the there's there's like um there's a kind of obedience which only does what one is asked. You know, it, it's not it's not very enterprising, right? It really doesn't exercise much in the way of agency, and I think that that's um yeah that's that's not genuine obedience like genuine obedience should be on the lookout um it should really be excited at the prospect of receiving um the revelation of of god's will so it shouldn't you know like it shouldn't be a kind of quietest thing where you lay back and wait for it to come to you once it does come you're perfectly obedient but until such time you're just kind of in a suspended state um and certainly you know when one talks about um deficiencies and agency then you you know you're mm. getting into the territory of the virtue of prudence so yeah, if you have a, like a, a hyper docile spirit that can actually uh, address or um, recognize injustice, that's a problem, right? Because those types of things should be, even if it's a certain situation where you should obey, uh, but you suspect that were you to obey uh, for a long time or without questioning it, it might actually lead to problems in your family, in your polity, in your church, whatever, then you should work to address that, but you should work to address it through just means. So it shouldn't just be like, I don't like this, so I'm not going to do it, because that doesn't really help anyone except for you, kind of, and truth be told, it probably doesn't help you that much um, because of the aforementioned disposition yeah. of disobedience, right? Um, so so I think that, that obedience goes alongside a real thick, a real substantial, a real rigorous account of human action, human mm -hmm. agency, human prudence, whereby the person is engaged in the living of his or her life so that... Um, it's not just like, you know, things pass you by until such time as they're issued as direct commands and then you thrill at the possibility. You know, it should be it should be a matter of moving forward on your steam by God's grace, but but with a real sense of purpose. Yeah, that's I think that that's that's crucial. That obedience obedience and non and disobedience. Disobedience you think, oh, that's just me, and obedience is when I just surrender myself, so I'm just I let someone carry me. But obedience as a virtue has to be it has to be an act of, of you. It has to be an act of obedience such that you're willing the good of you're willing that good, whatever it might be, of the superior, God's will or what have you, um, as your own will. You've engaged on it. You're not just like accepting the way that you accept, you know, your umbrella breaks and it, it's just raining on you and you're sad, you know, and you're just like let it come. You know? You can't <laughs> you can you can't make the but you can't make it rain on you, but you can make the obedience occur in you in a sense. And if I give – so um, prudence there, but I give the last word to Kant on this one. Um, for, for Kant, autonomy, of course, you know, you give the law to yourself, right? What does that mean? Well, many people think, oh, it means you just kind of make up and you decide what you want. But no, 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 the content of the law is set. I mean, Kant, Kant has some pretty rigorous stuff to say about, you know, the categorical comparative and like what you can't do, can and can't do and what you must do especially when regi re regime change goes. If the regime is ever-changing, make sure you go and quick kill everyone in jail um, oh, because God. otherwise there no justice will be done. But that's <laughs> disputes. But for him, when you give the law to yourself, it's an active obedience. So you accept the, the moral law, not as like this thing that happened to you. He thinks that's heteronomy. His, his autonomy is accepting the moral law actively as something that you choose to put yourself under and obey, not as something just happens to you, like getting hit by rocks, but something you as a human, rational. In fact, it's the most human thing you could do. So, um, active obedience, Kant, Thomas Aquinas, prudence, <laughs> jailbreaks, all there. Um, 
we've covered some things with obedience. Hopefully, if you if you were inclined to obey, you're still going to be inclined to obey, but for good reasons. As a human, if you're inclined to disobey, hopefully you've uh, you've heard the warning about jailbreaks um, and will no longer do so. If you have um, friends who you might find are inclined to obey or disobey, and might be it'd be good for them to hear this. Please share with us uh, with God's planning. You can uh, podcast, YouTube, all those sort of things. Um, also there's some merchandise on the website. Apparently you can buy, uh, stickers that say obey or else. No, they don't say that. They say <laughs> other things. Um, any other announcements, Father Gregory, that you want to say about, uh, God's planning things that are coming up or things we, uh, people might want to know. Yeah. Just, uh, a continued thanks and promise of prayers, uh, to our listeners. Uh, you know, we're, we're super appreciative for your support and know that we pray for you. Um, and then we have a retreat July 23rd through 25th in Huntington, New York, uh, which I think is nearly full. Um, I don't check before we record these episodes, so I hope I'm not, you know, uh, well, making promises that I can't keep. But it's uh, July 23rd through 25th in Huntington, New York for um, uh, young adults, young professionals, ages 21 through 33. And uh, yeah, it'll be a retreat with the ordinary things that you would imagine with mass, divine office, confessions, adoration, talks, time to enjoy each other's company and uh, to enjoy the beautiful Long Island Sound just there off the uh, off the edge of the retreat center. Apparently it's beautiful. I haven't been there, but it's uh, one of like two and a half places that are open and hosting retreats and it just happens to be a really great place. So we're pumped for that, but I think that's, I think that's it. Well, for Father Gregory and myself, we'll be praying for you. So pray for us as well and enjoy the rest of the Easter season. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.